Welcome to the Disruptors podcast brought to you by Gemco Intelligent Buildings Group. In this series, we bring you interview discussions with industry expert thought leaders to share with you their views, opinions and predictions. We hope by listening to this series, you'll pick out the underlying message and start to think outside the box. Gemco agree that the most dangerous phrase in the English language is, we have always done it that way. So we want to disrupt the industry and we believe that the way to developing true intelligent buildings is by building intelligence. So I'm James Palmer, Business Development Manager of North Building Technologies. Um, we've been established here in Brighton since 1995, controls manufacturer, with a background in integration. Essentially integration is, is the thing that we really specialise in. Excellent. So obviously there's been some, uh, some big changes, rapid changes in technology and not so rapid changes in construction and um, how do you think the industry has changed personally over the last 20 years? The world integration has gone really from a sort of bleeding edge technology. You know, when we first started out, we were seen as real mavericks, really, doing something quite different. The idea that a machine would talk to a machine any way other than 0 to 10 volts or a volt-free contact was, uh, yeah, seen as quite unusual. Um, RS232, really, that, that standard ushered in that, that ability and uh, it was widely adopted. Of course, what people didn't recognise was that that wasn't the whole protocol stack, it was mm. half of the protocol stack and there was this translation that it needed on top of that. And uh, that was the bit that we really specialised in and that's where all of our technology has come from really, from, from um, uh, being experts in, in integration and understanding all of these different protocols. The, the change that's happened, what well, the change I expected to happen was that we would have consolidated down to one real standard for, for buildings and there isn't one, frankly. Backnet's really good. It's cons- that has had a consolidating effect. Um, there are fewer protocols out there now, for sure. But Backnet doesn't get much further than the plant room, you know, and factory units perhaps on MSTP. Um, outside of uh, the, the sort of our little HVAC world, there are far more protocols. There's probably more Modbus devices in the world than there are Backnet devices, I'd probably guess. Uh, Lon sort of came and went. Um, <laughs> it's still around a bit. KNX in lighting, Dali in lighting, and then all the proprietary protocols in lighting, because all the ballasts and tend to, tend to be Dali based, the, the lighting control modules certainly aren't, you know, so they all took their own proprietary protocols. So, yeah, there's been a consolidation, but actually there's still lots and lots of integration needed on every project. And uh, uh, things like the, the ubiquitous Japanese air conditioning units now that are everywhere, they are, that they have slowly starting to take on board uh, the need for standard protocols, but we that's a big part of our business, is selling interfaces to Mitsubishi, Daikin, Sanyo, Panasonic as they are now, you know, Fujitsu units, and getting those into VMS systems or into our control systems. So, um, yeah, the change has been that really, not in the way that we talk to machine-to-machine, but the fact that machine-to-machine communications is now standard on every job. It's expected. And um, a lot of people try to... uh, They they tried not to do it, actually, for a long time because they were used to selling a cost-per-point model. You know, you could go into a building and see that it had a thousand points of control needed and you could very quickly work out how much it was going to (laughs) cost. Now, there might be 50, 100 points of actual control with relays and sensors, and the rest are software points. The per point model doesn't really work there. So people did try to avoid it, but now they can't. It's, it's there, and, mm. and it's changing again. 
with the Internet of Things, it's gonna it's gonna become you know there's a whole new thing to learn and Absolutely. a whole new thing for people to resist. <laughs> and like, yeah, I, I, we'll talk about IoT in, in, in a bit. But yeah, you mentioned uh, you know integrations change. Obviously, there's there's uh, mm. there's, there's fewer uh, protocols. Yeah, perhaps, but it's certainly been a buzzword, uh, and it's an increasingly mm popular buzzword integration and high yeah. level interfacing yeah. and um, we find that people don't necessarily understand what they're saying when they want mm. high level integration yeah. um, <laughs> and there has been some changes but what do you see as, as the biggest changes or developments looking into the future of, of building controls? Of building controls I think the controller will disappear from the building. That's, that's what I really think will happen. Um, I think it's inevitable. And the, the strategy for non-life non -life critical stuff, I think life critical stuff will end up, will stay where it is. Um, maybe with some redundancy in the cloud, but I think the actual strategy for controlling an air handling unit, pumps and valves and boilers and all the rest of it, uh, will exist in the cloud. And that's, uh, that's going to be forced on us from the IT world because, and forced on us from, well, I can walk down the road here to Maplin's now and buy sensors and actuators and things and put them all around my house, thermostatic radiator valves. Um, they're all wireless. They'd all come back to a thing. That, and then I can write some, you know, road net, red, node red, road net, <laughs> some node red strategy in the cloud that controls all of that, you know. And okay, that's back to what I said earlier about where integration was when I started the industry 25 years ago. It was bleeding edge, and it's a bit bleeding edge now. It's a bit hobbyist now. That approach, it's it's really for you know someone who's a bit nerdy who wants to better control of their home rather than in buildings. But that's happening, and it's it's going to happen in commercial buildings and in in the residential prop bigger residential properties. The reason it will happen is people like Google and Samsung and IBM they're doing it. If we don't respond, we're left behind, you know, and actually. The rate that IT moves is is a huge pace, you know, and the building industry is really sluggish. So, as a controls industry, as a controls manufacturer, we we are already pushing that technology. We're already looking at how our model is going to work for having strategy and control existing in the cloud. You know, ownership of that's going to be really difficult. It's something we're going to have to understand. If you uh, if Globe Associates install. Uh, some wireless and IoT sensors in a big commercial building and they all come up to a north server running our strategy that you've engineered. Someone else then needs to maintain that site. How does that work? You know, so there's lots of questions that are going to come out of this. Lots of realigning of, of how people sell their skills and, and their knowledge and lots of retraining is going to be needed. Engineers are going to spend there's some really good things that will come out of this. Engineers will spend less time sitting on a planting floor with a laptop on their knees, I think, you know, yeah. which will be really nice because I've done my fair share and I'm yeah. sure we all have. <laughs> that sucks, right? So less of that, good thing, you know, but maybe fewer engineers that can run strategy will be needed. And that might be a good thing because there probably aren't enough of them out there at the moment. You know, I'm, in fact, I'm sure there aren't enough of them out there at the moment. So that can solve some of those problems for us. Technology will allow that one's a single seat you know, to in an office to run a strategy for several buildings and have several projects managed from one place would be quite pleasant. And yeah, and the skill on site would be more about installing sensors, commissioning valves, and back to proper commissioning. 
you know, rather than having to worry about the control side of it so much. They'll, they'll have to learn about comms, though. They'll have to make sure that that Internet of Things enabled actuator on that damper there is talking to the strategy in the cloud, and they'll have to understand that. But I think that's probably 10 years away, maybe less, maybe five years away on some projects. I agree. I've heard of some projects that are happening now with like this. They're not quite that advanced, because some of the controls at the edge of the building rather than in the cloud. But the, the, the idea of a controller on an air handling unit, for example, I think will disappear slow. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you mentioned going down to map bins and picking out <laughs> yeah. some sensors, and, and I couldn't agree more with, yeah. with your statement there. Do you see that um, consumer-based retail um, smart home technology or smart building technology a threat to any of the, the manufacturers, without naming names, obviously, yeah. <laughs> uh, to any of the manufacturers, um, people like smart home automation. How, yeah. how do you think that will affect the industry? Yeah. I think um, it's a threat to people that don't see how to use that. So I see that um, popular sort of, the popularity of smart buildings could be a really good thing for those of us that get uh, our technology ready in time, you know, for that for that wave that's going to come of acceptance that smart buildings will suddenly become normal in the way that integrations become normal. Um, and those that don't respond quickly enough and then and aren't already working on <laughs> if you're not already working on Internet of Things based technologies, um, then you're standing on the Titanic and not seeing the massive iceberg ahead of you, frankly. Um, and we're 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 <laughs> we've seen it, and actually, uh, we're, we're going to. Uh, we've already we've already got technology for MQTT, um, pushing data up into the cloud. Uh, IBM Watson, we do a lot of work with IBM um, on their Internet of Things platform, and we've, we're actually helping them test that platform themselves. So, Open Ireland, which is uh, yeah. So that whole Internet of Things and that whole smart home technology is all part of the same thing. They all rely on the same technologies. And I think we can ride the wave of popularity if we're clever about it, and if we rest on our laurels and just assume that we've got the marketplace, you know, to ourselves, and and this build these little islands that we've been really guilty of doing as a, as a whole industry, you know, the, we sort of um, castle building, where it's seen as a dark art, and lots of. M&E contractors think we're the worst people in the world because we're so protectionist, you know, and that's got to change. It's really, really got to change. And, and we, it's up to us to change that. It's not up to, you know, we, we've got to, we, we can't educate everyone. Uh, there isn't the time. Everyone is understaffed. Everyone's working at a million miles an hour. You can't get those sort of messages across, but they're going to be pulled through. That message will get pulled through by the sheer popularity of that technology. Of the demand. Of yeah. The demand. Yeah, yeah. The market the mar will make the market. Yeah, yeah. The market will, will make this happen. Yeah. 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 And and it's just I mean, complacency isn't good for business any <laughs> business as you say. And I always use Blockbuster as a yeah as an example, you know. Exactly. They, they didn't believe in Netflix. I didn't think it was real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the market created the market. Yeah, yeah the demand is for there for convenience. And yeah. if you're not yeah. moving, then uh, you're gonna well, you're going to stand still or collapse. Very much so. Without, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so this here's one about North. Um, how do you see North comparing to the multitude of other integration uh, platforms in the market? I think we have a, a few a few advantages. One is that we've been doing it for so long. You know, um, I started here, yeah, nearly 25 years ago, and um, as as I mentioned earlier, it was bleeding edge then. But one of the things that we 
decided was really important at the time was that all of our interfaces would be written with manufacturer's permission. So there's no reverse engineered drivers in our massive library of 500 and something of drivers. They are all supported by us here with our support team. And I think that gives us quite a big edge, actually. I think there's, um, there's a fear with some of the more... Uh, there's the Android v Apple to sort of debate, isn't there? Right? We, you get an app on, uh, I'm an Android user, <laughs> so this might seem like a strange argument for me to make, but the Apple, an app from the Apple Store has been, has been accredited by them, has been tested by them, and you sort of get that feeling with those apps that, that it's going to work and you're not downloading anything too flaky. The Android world is, is a slightly more risky world, you know, and some of us are happy to take that risk for the openness of it, and some of us actually want that real confidence that this thing is, that the Apple's world gives you. And you're happy to pay a slight premium for that, and, and that's fine, and people will, will take their choices. When it comes to our technology, we, we're, we're open in the way that Anyone can download our engineering software. Anyone can learn how to engineer our products. Our documentation is unbelievable. You could, you could just read our documents and learn how to engineer our products from the bottom up. You learn how, how a PID loop works from our documentation, not just how to set one up in our system, actually what PID loops are from the beginning to end. So they're almost like a full BMS training course in their own right. So we've got that openness side in terms of we want people to access the technology, but in the background what we've got is a slightly protectionist thing of we want to protect the quality of our products and the quality of our drivers and the quality of, of, of everything that we do so that we know that it works and if it doesn't work it's because someone else has changed something somewhere else, not us. <laughs> so I think that's where we, where we have a, a slight advantage over a lot of the other platforms which are a lot more open. Some people will go for that other platform because they want to develop their own technology and use it as a platform to sell their own drivers, and that's fine. Not, a, not everyone is, is, wants to buy technology like that. People want to buy something they know is going to work day one. Sure. Save themselves time on site. Because yeah. if you try and save yourself time, if you try and save yourself money on the kits, on the controllers, the controllers, what, 10% of a job? That's not a big part of the project. You're, 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 you know, you're getting margin out of a small, a small area of the job. If you can save money on installation, save money with engineering time on site, actually, that's a bigger part of the job. You can save a lot more money, and that's margin for the reseller. So that's how we help our resellers, is, is at the, where the margin is, right. not where the, you know, a few quid here and there is. Yeah, because <laughs> one of the problems that many manufacturers uh, face is Someone will come to us, for instance, and say, I don't want a North system because mm -hmm. I had a North system in my last place and it was rubbish. Yes. Right? <laughs> what, they, what they're not quite understanding is the name is the, it, yeah. the, the product is only as good as yes. the reseller. So yeah. by being transparent, well, you, you mentioned education and being really yeah. transparent with your, with your resellers. Yeah. Um, what other... What other um, Yep. Ways do you manage sure. uh, that risk, yeah. ensuring that the, the yeah. delivery of the project is is a high That standard. is the most difficult thing because you've got this. this there is a double-edged sword. We have um, tech partners and gold partners, and those are on a list on our website. And those are people that have been through our formal training courses, have done many jobs with us to a high standard. And actually, I'll tell you how we judge how much support, how many support calls we get from them. 
<laughs> it's a really good judge of how good a system, how good our systems interface, system integrator is. You know, they go and just do the jobs and and don't need to lean on us very much because they really deeply understand it and they're doing good work over and over again. And that means that we get repeat business from them because they're delivering. Um, the issue of of getting blamed for uh, yeah for, for failed projects is is a really difficult one. I don't know how as an industry any of us overcome that because Trend get it. The North get it, and Cylon get it, and Tridium get it, everyone gets it. And all of our controllers, the Siemens controller on an air handling unit, uh, or uh, on some pumps and valves, or a North controller on some pumps and valves, can both control those pumps and valves if set up correctly. There's no difference, they will do the same job. Right? We've all got different advantages and different things, but set up correctly, do the same thing. They will turn those things on and off at the right time, is how well they're configured. And getting those quality of engineers to site is actually been a real problem of our, our whole industry. Having the right guys on site has been really difficult, but there just aren't enough of them out there. Um, and so, yeah, going back to my previous point about when it all happens in the cloud, <laughs> I think that is going to really help with that. It's going to massively help with that. Um, yeah, you, you, all you can do is train people, train people, train people, train people, and work so hard to convince them to come on training courses, and which is difficult because they're understaffed. They've got 19 projects running, 13 engineers, and how the hell do you take time out to come and sit in an office in Brighton and you know learn? <laughs> when do you get that time to learn? Really difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's not a problem that's going to go away, and there's no magic bullet for it, I don't think. We just have to keep working really hard, yeah. convincing people that training is so important. I agree. Yeah. Training is, is one of the most important things. Yeah. That's why we're so, we're so transparent and we, we're... I mean, the, the purpose of this series yeah. is just to give nuggets to the industry uh, in an indirect educational yeah. Yeah. format. Good. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges we face in the market? Um, the biggest challenge we face in the market, copy and paste specifications. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> I went there. <laughs> it is. I saw. I, okay. I saw a special. Now I've done it. Now, so let's go with it, right? <laughs> the elephant in the room in the whole industry. I saw a specification recently for a, a high-end house, twenty million pound house in Wentworth, that asked for a VDU and dot matrix printer attached to the BMS head end. Nineteen eighties technology. There's no head end on the job. The rest of the spec says nothing about a head end. Right? There's, there's no need for a head end on the job. It was some unfloor heating manifolds, an interface to some Mitsubishi air conditioning units, and a link to Crestron. Right, right up our street, perfect for us. Uh, a dot matrix printer. So that, that, that whole section of that specification is just copied and pasted. And actually, if you looked at the way that the, the control spec had been written, it didn't relate to that job at all, really. So I think, I think one of the big issues we've got is, is it actually comes to cost. It's not copy and paste, um, copy and paste specifications. That is a, a symptom of the real problem, which is cost, and everything is being driven by cost. And actually, we're looking at the cost of uh, controlling a building in the wrong way. We're looking at the cost of putting the controls into the building rather than the cost of controlling a building. You know, the cost of putting the controls into the building is small compared to the cost of controlling the building over its lifetime. And yet, we was, again, we're saving money in the wrong areas and, and killing ourselves over it. If, if the M&E contractor or the client or the developer, whoever the customer, isn't willing to 
give the consultant design responsibility, not just at the beginning of the project, but actually to oversee the handover and to have responsibility for that building actually working, then what's the consultant going to do? He's not interested in how it's finished. He's got a small amount of money to give them a specification that someone else, someone else has to deliver. And once it's gone out the door, their, their involvement in the project is over. Where's their motivation to do a really, you know, a really fine job on this? Actually, there isn't any great motivation. There's no money in it for them. You know, people need to be need to be rewarded for their work, and people need to understand that you get what you pay for. And unfortunately, that is the root of it. So, I, I said copy and paste specifications. Actually, no, cost. Cost is the problem. That's the root of it. That's why these things happen. So, yeah, I, th I think design responsibility for one person, <laughs> or or one 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 body, mm. and whether that's the m and &E contractor or the consultant, someone has to have you know, a, a beginning, middle and end, and they have to be responsible for selection of the kit, making sure it all works, and at the end, has to be the person who gets kicked if it doesn't. And if you give someone that responsibility, then you have to pay them well for that, to take their risk, and, and to do a good enough job that everything will work, and I think that's not happening in the marketplace. But it would be cost efficient in the long run. And, and, and then you, the savings would be huge. There are, there's a big industry out there for going back to buildings and making them work properly. You know, we call it optimizing buildings. What you're doing is you're fixing the, the stuff that, that wasn't put in right in the first place. And it wasn't put in right in the first place, not because the engineers on site weren't good enough, not because no one wanted to do a good job, but actually the money wasn't there and the time wasn't there to do it properly. And no one, because the money wasn't there, because it's driven by this upfront cost rather than the life lifelong cost of running the building. Yeah. Uh, it's very frustrating. <clears throat> so um, I've, I've written many blogs, but one of the blogs mentioned about box sellers and they're mm. trying to sell their own box. Yeah. And a consultant's box is a spec. Yes. And everyone's trying to sell their box as cheaply and as quickly as possible yeah. without without um, damaging the quality of the product. Mm. So we find that they will copy and paste specs, but they won't do due diligence on certain companies that are uh, moving with the times and technology and they won't do their homework because they're trying to do it mm. quickly as possible and cheaply as possible. So what they'll do is they'll just put a sentence in there that says, or equal, or something mm. like that, uh, or something that matches that. And um, yeah. what we do, what we put a lot of effort into is going to educate consultants mm. or a CPD company. Um, do you put time and effort into it's, it's educating a, consultants? Yeah. And, yeah, we we do lunchtime seminar. I, I I do them all the time, basically as much as I can, and it's it's yeah, it's really a really powerful thing to do. Um, really important that the whole industry does it. Actually, not just manufacturers, not just resellers. You know, everyone needs to get involved, and that needs to happen with not just with consultants but M and E contractors as well. So you need to go and hit them and educate them. It's um yeah, it's 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 a, it's a key part of my job actually is <laughs> last time seminars it's, it's uh, yeah what i do but um uh what we yeah so it's one of the things we find a, a lot when it comes to uh educating consultants is, is that you see specifications written that uh are clearly based around what a particular product and then you read the spec and the list of features you think i know the consultant seen this particular box and wants that on the job they haven't named it but we can all see what that is, fine, probably won't bother quoting that one, I think they've made their choice. And then you see other specs and you think, well I can't, I don't know of a product in the world that does that. And it makes you wonder how, you know, <laughs> how that ever happened on paper. Uh, it's, it's almost a fantasy wish list. And then you, you, you can't work out how, you know, how that's, 
that's been designed with any real tangible solution in mind. And that probably comes back to the thing of, you know, if they're not if they're not being paid to to have responsibility for delivering this thing that they've written, then <laughs> where's, the, where's the motivation? Yeah, yeah. You know. So it's, well, I'm really glad you said that because uh, there's been times when I've opened specs and thought. Perhaps I'm not up at the time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where he's got this exactly. Star Trek idea. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How do you think we can better educate and influence the M&E design and delivery process? I think um, there's there's several ways that we can do that. One is is to actually get in front of developers and end users and and make sure that they are told what to do, <laughs> that we pull through this technology. I think the, the driver for any market is the end user, the person that is paying the bill. And that, to me and to you, looks like an m and contractor who's paying up because he pays our bills, but actually that's not the end customer. And the end customer will will buy into technology, will be keen to have the, the, the best of breed and, and the latest things. And I, when was the last time you got on uh, an aeroplane and pulled out a High Life magazine, for example, and saw an advert for a smart building of some description or a BMS controller that could do something special? Well, that, you know, that it, sound, it, sounds, uh, it sounds odd having a, that advert in there. But when you really think about it, the people on those planes, the building owners, <laughs> the bloke in first class who runs <laughs> whatever it is, who has this massive network of buildings, if you could show him there that he could save X money on, on his real estate, wouldn't that just pull through your technology beautifully into these buildings? Yeah. There's the man that you really, or woman that you really want to hit with this information. So I think pulling through that, because as I mentioned earlier, everyone's understaffed. The M&E contractors, the, the engineers on site, the systems houses, everyone looks dead on their feet after time. Everyone's doing too many projects, working too hard. And the time to just stop and learn, to just take a breather and look at them. Can we do this any better? Is there a better way? You're kind of running so fast that you're almost tripping over yourself and you don't have time to stop and tie your shoelaces, you know, and just right at this reset. So as, as, a, as, a, as a manufacturer, as a systems house, you know, how do we get that, how do we make that happen? You have to force it. And the way to force it is to go beyond there and, and get to the end users. So um, uh, we are looking at plans of, of how we can do that, how we can influence that top level um, to pull technology through. And if we don't, if we don't do that as an industry, and I'm saying we as North, but that also includes all of my competitors and, and, your, and all, of our, um, all of our customers, if we don't do that, then Google and Samsung and, and IBM, they are doing that, you know. And it seems like it's massive budget and it's scary. We've got to do it. Because the way that the, the industry is going, we've got a choice. We have to do this. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you say that, the, the, I agree with you, the high net worth people in particular, mm. it must be very frustrating to have uh, an, uh, the amount of, money they've got, yeah. disposable money, um, and then not be able to get what they want. Yeah. That <laughs> exactly. must be so frustrating, but then, as you say, it's, it's, it's driven by cost from the end yeah. user, but there needs to be a fine line between what they're expecting at mm. the end, and then how much they're willing to pay, yeah. and then ha uh, handhold between yeah. them at the beginning, you yeah. know, collaborate at the beginning, because what we find is, we're in at the end, and we're the least sort of thought about, yes. but we're responsible. Yes. We're the last people on, yeah. on the project. We're responsible for the control, the you know the climate control, yeah. and the rest of it. And uh, 
and and it seems like more of the interest is in what things look like and yeah. you know, the aesthetics of a yeah. of a place, which is fair enough. But then they end up with something that they're the not experience quite of the building is how it works around you, isn't it? And 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 does it work as you expect it to? Yeah, that's the, actually the biggest thing. And if no one asks the, the occupier how they expect this thing to work, then they're never going to be really satisfied. You know, it's that massive frustration. You, you, whatever technology I buy, if it doesn't work as I'm half expecting it to work, I find it immensely frustrating. You know, you download an app and it doesn't quite, oh, I know. So you, you've got to really rethink how this person's... Now, you can overcome that in buildings. We have the opportunity because the people that actually pay the bill are the people that... They're going to occupy it, and <laughs> so let's understand. You know, I think a lot of one of the things that the I gave consultants a bit of a hard time earlier, actually. But uh, one of the good things that's really coming out of that sector, that layer of the of the chain, is um, BIM and, and modelling and people feeding back into that with um, you know user satisfaction um, surveys. I spoke to a consultant the other day um, at a show who has developed a, a, an app. In the cloud that you can install into a building, and every at every desk you can sit and pull up this page, and it will ask you lots of questions about how your experience of the building is going, and that feeds back into um, gener generating reports, which the FM team or whoever's maintain maintaining the site can then use to go upstairs for money to improve the building. Brilliant! <laughs> that sort of thing is, is, and so that's where technology will help with that in a, in a big way. But that's again, it's after the fact. <laughs> you know, and again, it's after the fact because we're not involved early enough. We're just not involved early enough. You know, and and that's what kills it every time. The man that or the woman that decides <laughs> is not involved in in, in, in the, that decides to build the building isn't involved in how the building works because the people that decide how the building works are involved too late after everything else is done, and we're just tail end Charlies. You know. With, so would uh, you say that early stage collaboration with the integrator and, and the control? Yes, early stage collaboration is is the solution to this problem. You know, <laughs> and it's been staring us in the face for twenty years. It's been the same for for so long. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, but <laughs> that's it. Here's the thing: with whatever system you choose, and I would argue that you should choose a north system <laughs> always. But that's not going to happen, right? <laughs> I have competitors and they're going to find markets. Whichever system you choose, you can get a really good solution from. Okay, And, and I, might, I might argue that the integration side of a job is easier with my Git and it's more difficult with someone else's, but they can do it in, in, with by, sometimes by buying bits of our Git on the side of theirs. So whatever the customer wants for their building can be achieved with pretty much all of the products that are available in the marketplace if they're engaged early enough. You know, and it might cost them more with someone else's, or it might be more difficult with someone else's, or whatever. But they can get it, but only if they're engaged early enough. That everyone around the table knows what the end point is early enough in the project, so that the work costs are recognised. Everyone understands how this job has, has got to be delivered. And coming in right at the end, and, and <laughs> oh, by the way, we need to interface to the lighting system that's got to control all the fan coils in all the meeting rooms. Well, okay. That's really, really cheap and easy if you tell me day one, and now it's really expensive now that I've designed and installed all the panels. Yeah. <laughs> and what I find is, is uh, engineers are very sort of got a unique way of doing their own thing. That's why yeah. they're engineers. They love, they love 
engineering, mm. so they like creating stuff. And yeah. if they've got a copied and pasted spec that's a bit generic, mm. and you get to the end of the stage and you haven't had that early stage collaboration, mm. they just end up designing it how they would yeah. like to design it. Yeah. So we find lots of Questron systems, for instance, where it's an engineer just put in what he mm. would like to see, yeah. but he's an engineer. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's maybe designed it a bit too technically, yeah. and and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. He's engineered it for engineering sake. Yeah. he enjoys engineering. Yeah, and if you've got an open-ended spec, yeah. why not? You know, you might just go, okay, Wasn't well, I'll it... just assume they mean that, yeah. like they did on the last job, and they'll just do some conventional strategy or. Yeah. Or is it BMW that had the light bulbs on a on a retracting sort of actuator, and then and the, <laughs> so to change a light bulb, the actuator thing had to work, and if the electrics were screwed to that, you couldn't even change the bulb in the car because it's just been massively over-engineered a solution looking for a problem, you know. And uh, yeah, <laughs> we have to avoid that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So this is a question um, more in today. Uh, obviously, we're very big on uh, social media, different platforms. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on social media and using that as a way of reaching out and influencing to the broader industry? I think it's a, a really powerful tool. I think um, there's there's two sides to it really. There's the whole sort of well, if you're not proud of it on LinkedIn, did it really happen? So <laughs> you know, when you're looking, oh, okay, yes, well done. But then you and you, but on the other side of that, when we put a new feature in Commander and I put a post on LinkedIn about that, two thousand people have seen it in a day. That's I can't do that any other way. You know, and I can't get that through Facebook, and I, I could get some of that through Twitter. So LinkedIn has been has been actually a bit of a game changer for our industry. It's actually how we came to be doing sitting here today, isn't it? Really, and uh, seeing seeing your videos and, and that conversation that that sparked. So it's a very powerful tool for getting the information out to quite a, a, a targeted audience really quickly. I think you have to be careful how you play it. I think you can overdo it on there in a big way. Um, and and you know you keep seeing the same things going over and over and over and that can get a bit tiring. And I think people, uh, are, there's, there's a, a growing uh, trend of, of making negative comments on competitors' products, which I can't really understand. You know, that's, it's, uh, I, uh, if people don't do that, that's up to them, but I, I'll, I'll stick to making positive comments or none. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's due to fear of, yeah. the, of the industry moving quickly and yeah. people not, I think it's easier to be that functional type of person where you're scared of change and you mm. want to, you want to. You want to put negativity into change to yeah. secure your job. Yes, almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I really do. Yeah, I think he does that because yeah. there's more functional yeah. people than uh, than people mm. that are willing to innovate and move yeah. forward. Yeah. Um, what do you see as the most important driving factors in the marketplace right now? So the most important driving factors, aside from cost. Most important driving factors in our industry right now is going to be training, actually. If it's not cost, it's training. Um, so we touched on cost earlier, and I think that is a, is a problem that needs overcoming because we're focusing on the cost of the wrong area. The education and training um, is going to be one of the big driving factors in our industry because the rate of change is about to be forced upon us. Um, and, and I mean forced upon us. It's, it's coming whether we engage with it or not. And, and therefore that is gonna have a massive impact on, on how uh, where we employ engineers from, the skill set they're going to need, and how we train engineers. So they're not just going to have to understand about 
um, what pressurization unit does, they're going to have to understand about how MQTT works and uh, IP addressing and, da, 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 and what the cloud actually is, you know, and, and all of those sort of things are going to have much more of an effect. So the, the industry has changed in a, in a big way that engineers have had to learn more um, uh, communication skills as integrations become ubiquitous. And once the Internet of Things starts becoming more and more uh, commonplace, then, uh, then then those skills are going to be really in short supply in the industry. And we have to look as an industry of how we get those skills. We're, we need to provide them ourselves. We need to train people. And that's what we really need to do. So I think that's going to be a, a, a big driving factor in the industry. I think um, uh, uh, that and, yeah, and, and looking back at this costing and influencing this... <laughs> earlier, getting in early enough to influence and, and convince the right people that actually a bit of upfront cost has massive long-term savings and massive long-term savings. And that is, 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 is something we need to do. That's not a driving force in our industry, but that's something we need to, we need to drive. Mm -hmm. So I, I suppose I've described some threats really rather than driving forces. Driving force will be, um, will be threats from outside technology. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's actually what we've got to respond to. So. That's what, certainly what's driving us at the moment, <laughs> big style. Yeah. Our next two, three years, no, probably our next five years worth of development work will all be um, cloud-based and internet-based. Our latest version of Commando is five, six years old, the latest hardware version. Um, and I'd be, would I, would I see us ever doing another hardware controller? Possibly. Possibly there will be there will be other hardware products that we will sell, but um, longer term, the focus will be on providing cloud-based control and, and viewing of buildings, and um, that will be that will be true for most manufacturers, I think. No, that will be true for the manufacturers that are still around ten years time. <laughs> if you're developing your new controller right now, I think you're probably looking at the wrong end. Of the market, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't. Yeah, you need to be making what you've got Internet of Things ready, which is what we're doing. So the, the, all, all the development work that's going into Commander is to make it IoT ready, and that, and that is that's something we've pretty much done. There's a little bit, a few few other bits to do, um, but that's that's pretty much there. The next lot of development is cloud-based, and yeah, will be yeah, that will be where it is. Excellent. Uh, what's your outlook on the future of building automation? My outlook on the future of building automation is uh, that it will become more reliable. So buildings will become more intelligent and the control will become more reliable. You'll get that reliability by not having controllers on site. So by having um, sensors and actuators and presence detectors and, and lighting ballasts and whatever it is, however granular we get with it, um, those things reporting to the cloud and receiving information from the cloud means that with two channels to the cloud, with a copper line or a fiber line and a, and a 4G line to the cloud, you've got redundant communications to your controller. You can then have redundant controllers in the cloud. So currently, I've used the air handling unit example a lot, so I'll stick with that. If you look at an air handling unit now and you put a controller on an air handling unit, what, what we've done is we've, we've isolated that as a, as a point of failure. So by distributing the, the controls um, around the building, we haven't we haven't uh, we haven't stopped risk. We've we've isolated risk. 
So there's still a risk that if that controller fails, that air handling unit will, will fail. Other air handling units will, will still keep going. So that's how we that's how we manage it currently. Right now, you, there's no way of having a second controller on that unit. You can't make that redundant. With the cloud, you can. You know, and that's where that's where some of the real benefits come. So the fear of of, oh my God, I'm relying on the internet, you know, for this <laughs> is going to be overcome by the realization that, well, when was the last time you actually didn't have an internet connection? When you, if you look on Facebook, you will see someone say, my internet connection's down. Well, they just posted on Facebook telling you that their internet connection's down. What they mean is their primary route to the internet is down and they're using their mobile to get to the internet. So they're actually, they're not cut off. And when you really ever cut off, and you go to the Highlands of Scotland and you'd be cut off, fine. But a building? No, nah, no, nah, sorry. The, the, the reliability of, of, that, of connection to the internet is there now, you know? And if you have to put two suppliers cables in to your, to your building and a 4G, what's it, on the roof, fine. You know, that, that, you'll get that back in reliability like you wouldn't believe. And you'll get that back in the way that you can manage that building and the way that that building can suddenly become far more intelligent. You centralize all of the integration at that point as well. So information from um, from the lighting system, from people counting systems, from door access, from everything, is available in one place. And we have to overcome the protocol issues still. You'll still need some translation in the cloud because even if you, you look at MQTT or you look at JSON, JSON as a, as a way of transmitting data to the cloud doesn't define the tag for the temperature for a meeting room. You know, that still needs some translation. Um, but once we overcome that, we can overcome that in one place with one bit of software. We can we can have, write the strategy in one place with one bit of software. Um, this is the advantage I sell with our products now, but in a distributed way. So you put a commander in and you write one bit of strategy that talks to everything in the building because all the drivers are built into the commander. But then you've got to buy lots of commanders and you've got to buy lots of IO and da, 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 and you, you create these little islands of control which you try and join together cleverly in strategy. Actually, if you put one blob of control, that engineer's got one thing to write, one way of managing that system, and then he copies and pastes it onto a redundant server and you put two links in and the whole building, every device in that building has two controllers. One just sat there waiting for the other one to fail. It's incredibly reliable. It's incredibly fast, 100 meg pipe up and down, you know, to the, to the cloud is no different to a 100 meg ethernet connection to another controller on your network. It's no different at all. It's it's fast. <laughs> and you've got a certain, you've got one second step time in your controller. Everything's happening at a rate. You know, we're, we're using blade servers and <laughs> in massive data centers. It's going to be, you know, you can have massive power there. And and the more people talk about artificial intelligence, and it's not a, it's not a phrase I really like, artificial intelligence, because because it's so misused and it has so many meanings. But I think we can all understand where I'm coming from is, is that we'll be able to, buildings will be able to learn. No, controllers will be able to learn. The cloud will be able to learn how buildings are used. And so the old idea of calendars and timers in buildings and things like that, you know, we assume maximum, maximum occupancy for a building. We assume the flow rates that are required. We assume when people are going to turn up for work and when they're going to go home from work. But actually, the workforce is more fluid than that these days. Buildings are more fluid. And actually, but people people have patterns. 
You know, so you will have a pattern about when you come to work and when you go home to work, I have a pattern about mine, and those are different. And if we worked in different offices, then we could service those individual offices differently. You know, and it might be that you tend to come in really early on a Friday and go home a bit early. It might be that I tend to come in really late on a Monday and go, go home a bit later on a Monday. If that's our pattern, and then that's how people, workforces work these days, we're not all nine to five, you know. We are, we are allowed that freedom, then buildings have to be controlled that way, but it has to be learned. You know, it's not something that an engineer sat on the plant room floor with his laptop can program in for, for what might be your office in the future. It has to be learned, and you can only learn that for, with this centralization. You know, so that is the future of yeah. controls. Yeah. Love that answer. Um, <laughs> just while we're on that subject, I do, I do just want to touch on, um, you talk about the internet of things and everything mm. being uh, centralized, uh, with people having a lack of trust in mm. uh, internet and, and, and there's a massive focus on um, discrimination against security uh, and mm. cyber attacks through HVAC systems. It's mm. all over the news at the moment. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on cyber security as it's, a manufacturer? It's a, uh, it's a problem that we have been lucky that we haven't had to deal with as a, as a company so far because our, um, the technology in Commander is so proprietary. Um, that it's really hard to hack. We sit on banks' networks and we've been through penetration testing with the banks and they just keep asking us, well, what is it? <laughs> what am I testing? And we think, well, that's the right answer. Because if you can't work out what even this thing is, then we're pretty secure. When we move to the cloud, this is something that's that we're, going to be the first phase of our development work is security. And because security has to be from the bottom up. It can't be something that, that, that you know, is, is bolted around. Well, it will be wrapped around, but it also has to be quite fundamentally in the system. And from my, me personally, I've got a lot of learning to do about internet security. And and the whole industry is, is in the same boat, you know, really. Um, developers are ahead, and hopefully our developers are, are way ahead. They've been talking about it and learning about it and, and uh, discovering what we, you know, what was really important in internet security. What some of the savings that are going to come out of um, cloud-based control will have to be ploughed back into security. There's a cost to it, and and there are experts out there uh, that we need to listen to. You know, because there's a horrible thing of ignoring experts at the moment. I don't like that at all. <laughs> experts are there for a reason, and let's use them. You know, and the internet security experts are. Um, a good friend of mine, actually, my, my, my friend Ed, a uh, personal friend of mine, he was the head of uh, security at the Inland Revenue. And he's, he's the bane of his life is companies who, who uh, assume that their IT department are security savvy, you know, and their IT department know a bit about security and do bits here and there. But some of their policies prevent things from being updated, they prevent things from being patched. And actually, security isn't coming first. The, the, the business, the underlying business processes are coming first, that actually puts them all at risk. You know, it puts the whole business at risk. If you put security first, some of the processes will have to change and there's a cost to that. There's a cost to security. We have to get used to that cost. We have to accept that cost and we have to accept the advice of the experts. You know, let's listen to them. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because we've got a, a blog on our website called right. I'm an expert, don't listen to oh, <laughs> <laughs> There you go. The amount of times we, uh, yeah. it, was, it was written by our guy Adam, but the, the amount of times they'll ask for our advice, yeah. we'll tell them what our opinion is, and they didn't yeah, we'll not take your advice. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been doing this 20 years, yeah. why ask me? <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Gemco Intelligent Buildings Group. 
You can find more information about us on our website at gemcoibg.com or all social media platforms.